Welcome to Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. I'm your host, Tim Friedman, along with rock expert Frank Ost. Frankie, welcome to Season 8, Episode 1. Oh, it's good to be here, I'll tell you. Especially after last year, it's even better. <laughs> yeah, our featured artist is going to be Holland Oates. You know, they don't like to be called Holland Oates. They'd rather be called Daryl Hall and John Oates. Interesting, yeah. all those yeah. albums all those years said Hall and Oates <laughs> on them. <laughs> and we never knew. And we never knew. It was bugging them the whole time. <laughs> Blue-Eyed Soul, good rockers. Well, boy, were they hot in the 80s. Yeah, and uh, that, that's another group that I saw, and uh, glad I saw them because they, they do put on a heck of a show. They're our featured artist this time around, and as we begin Season 8, we want to thank you for sticking with us and listening to all the classic episodes we brought your way all through the time of shivering through our winter of 2023 <laughs> exactly. and now that spring has sprung baseball and basketball are in the air and we're going to bring a brand new season for you right now we hope you enjoy it today in rock history may the 8th in 1965 then known as chad allen and the expressions this group would become one of the top acts in canada known as the guess who love the guess who yeah absolutely they should be in the rock and roll hall of fame don't you think absolutely uh and i think i made that case once um yep and you'll make it again although i don't know whatever happened to chad allen i'm not sure could be a great start <laughs> then dot 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 so uh shaking all over their first released single That's good right. tune That's yeah, a really good great song. tune that was before burton cummings jerry and the pacemakers announced their breakup just two years later they had a couple of good tunes didn't they yes love that that group uh, Casablanca Records founder Neil Bogart, you you hear the distinction there, Bogart Casablanca, mm-hmm. died at only 39 years old, Frankie, in 1982. He was one of the prolific dance, disco, um, oh, yeah, la- that was, record label heads. That was huge record label uh, with the whole disco scene, yeah. Donna Summer, Village People, mm-hmm. Parliament, even the Hudson Brothers. You know who else? Kiss was a Casablanca That's right, artist. That's right, yeah. Birthdays, Oscar Hammerstein, 1847. <laughs> 1847, Frankie. Hard to believe. 33rd president, Harry Truman, 1884. Comedian Don Rickles, the hockey puck. That's right. 1926. Sonny Liston, the boxer, 1932. Ricky Nelson, 1940. Tony Tennille, Captain and Tennille. She's sure. 73 years old. Gary Glitter, rock and roll. Part one and That's two right. or just part one? I can't remember. I think part two was the hit, actually. I think yeah. it was. I think he's still, is he still in prison in I England believe, or something? I believe he is. If he isn't, he should be. Singer Philip Bailey of Earth, Wind & Fire is da, 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 72 today. <laughs> Alex Van Halen of Van Halen is 68. And Melissa Gilbert, want to feel old? Half Pint on Little House in the Prairie is 59 years That's old today. Right. yes. And before we get started on our new show to start our new season, new inductees have been announced for the 2023 Rock Hall. George Michael, we've been making a case for him time and again. He's getting in. Also, Rage Against the Machine, really the only rocker there. Maybe George Michael, Cheryl Crow in a way. The Spinners, one of our favorites. William Nelson is getting in. He's turned 90 years old just last week. Missy Elliott and Kate Bush after her fourth nomination. Shaka Khan was nominated like six times. She finally will be inducted in the musical excellence category. Not getting in, still waiting for their turn. Cindy Lauper, Soundgarden, White Stripes, Iron Maiden, Warren Zevon, and Joy Division New Order. Induction ceremonies, Barclays Center, Brooklyn, New York, on November the 3rd. Congratulations to the new inductees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame 2023. All right, Frankie, soon to be hits debuting this week, 1973, you know, kind of going through them year after year. May 8th, that week, so very hard to go, Tower of Power, their highest charting hit. Ain't nothing I can say, nothing I can do. I feel so bad. I got to make it right for everyone concerned. Even if it's me, if it means just me, what's getting burned? Cause I could never make you unhappy. No, I couldn't do that, girl. 
Started out at number 97, peaked at number 17. I love that song. Yep. And You're Still a Young Man. We talked about Tower Power. Another, and, and another cool tune. With other great tunes. Want to hear a, a fun, campy song? Monster Mash, Bobby Boris Pickett. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, in 1973, this week, was uh, debuting at number 94. Yeah, and it, wasn't that the oddest thing ever? A song that was like... 15 years old or something like that and then all of a sudden they re-released it but they didn't really release it at halloween no they did it in may in may it, it just a, didn't make any sense but it was a huge hit it might have had something to do with <laughs> frankenstein coming out i guess i don't know so it went to number one in 1962 they actually re- re-released right. it in 1970 yet only made it to number 91 mm-hmm. depending on when it was released maybe they released it in the winter or something Who i knows? don't know i don't know why they would have released it but this one, same version by Bobby Boris Pickett, made it to number 10 in the summer of 73. I remember it well. I was working in the lab late one night When my eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the match He did the monster match The monster match It was a graveyard smash He did the match it caught on in a flash. He did the mash. He did the monster mash. From my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom where the vampires feast. The ghouls all came from their humble abode to get a jolt from my electrode. They did the mash. They did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. They did the mash. It caught on in a flash. They did the mash. They did the monster man. The zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests included Wolfman, Dracula, and his son. The scene was rocking, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group. The Crypt Kicker 5. They played the monster. And at number 99, comedian Martin Mall released this song, Dueling Tubas. <laughs> Somehow I missed that one. <laughs> the number one song that week was, again, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. Oh, for the can third I of shoot its... myself now? <laughs> It's third of four weeks at number one. My uh, my parents used to square dance to that song. Oh, did they really? So yeah, oh my God. I mean it Frankie. doesn't get any worse than yeah. Now we have another one that was also a number one song called "Night the Chicago Died" or "Night the oh, Whatever." Yeah, Night Chicago Paper Lace. Died. That's going to be our one hit wonder later on. Absolutely. Unlike uh, Tony Orlando and Don, who <laughs> had a pile of hits, these guys only had like one, and we'll bring that to you. It's hard to believe. <laughs> Frankie, we have a new segment. This was one you came up with. It's a good one, too. And boy, we have a lot of samples. It's called Cover versus Cover. Now, in some cases, the song that we'll have is original, and then another artist uh, down the line did it as a cover version. Right. And you're going to tell us which one you like better and why. And then, Or we might just have a song that was recorded earlier on and then covered and then covered again. Exactly. Linda yeah. Ronstadt or something leaps to mind, something like that that she did. So over the next few weeks, we're going to do cover versus cover. So that, you, that way you know what it is. This week, we're going to debut our brand new category with Nine Inch Nails versus Johnny Cash and the song Hurt. Hurt myself today To see if I still Focus on the pain The only thing that's real The need 
myself today to see if I still feel I focus on the pain the only thing that's real the needle tears a hole the old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the And you could have it all My empire of dirt I will let you down I will make you hurt One of the very last CDs that I bought in its time in other words, the year it was released, was the Trent Reznor 1994 match masterpiece, The Town World's Downward Spiral. Now, I've said at the time that it was the most terminal album I'd ever heard. Like had, Trent had glimpsed into hell and was reporting back. Mm. And the very last track, this densely produced trip into the private world of self-harm and drug addiction, some people believe the track is ultimately a sonic suicide note, while others argue that it describes a flickers of hope that one might feel amidst uh, severe bouts of depression and sadness. So the idea that somebody would re dare to remake this song seemed implausible. Then, nine years later, I saw the video, too, of all people, Johnny Cash's mm, version. Boy, a painful version. Now, don't worry, this is not a hot country take. <laughs> uh, it is a serious reading that changes the song into an introspective look at the pain and, yes, sometimes horrors of growing old. Johnny was 70 when this was made, and honestly, he looks and sounds 10 years he older. He was only 70. He was only 70. At the time. It's not a coincidence that just a few months later, we, want, we lost Johnny's wife, June, and then Johnny himself. Now, when Trent Reznor was approached about the re a remake, his first thought was that the idea sounded a little gimmicky. But it was Johnny Cash, so he gave it his blessing. As far as which version is better, I'll let songwriter Trent own words decide. Tears welling, silence, goosebumps. Wow, I just lost my girlfriend. Because this song isn't mine anymore. Mm -hmm. Case wow. closed. <laughs> yeah, uh, Hurt is the last cut on the um, album by Nine Inch Nails. I was surprised yeah, it was that spiral. long ago. That's almost 30 years ago. It is. And like I said, it was one of the, the last, what I would call, true rock records that I went to, actually went to the store and bought. Yeah. And uh, just 
love the album and it it's it's such a great way to end it because and if you've ever heard the nine inch nail version it's just so deeply produced that you know you feel like oh well i've just visited hell there's no doubt about it (laughs) wow it's interesting how a song can bring out that feeling two different ways absolutely two different two different takes both of them quite depressing but um the, the fact that you you know you just listen to Johnny Cash's version and boy you just like whoa yeah it's it's incredible there are a lot of good cover versus covers we have Beatles of course the one I like is the one by the Supremes Keep Me Hanging On versus Vanilla Fudge yeah, which is not like yeah, the same exactly. here exactly totally different song yeah, so we'll get into that not to mention Linda Ronstadt and so many artists who have done so many great covers over the years that's right it's a fun category thanks a lot Frankie for bringing that up it's time for Hall of Fame albums and a uh, quick refresher, Frankie, you know, for our listeners. Albums that belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, even though the artist is not. Right. And in a lot of cases, probably will not be. I hope they are. And exactly. We've made a case for a lot of these, including the ones today. And we have, and we will continue to. Yeah, what you got? This is Frampton Comes Alive by Peter Frampton. things about coming of age uh, music age in the 1970s was a neat package called the multi-record live album for those of you on a budget like me you could get two or more lps of hits with the obligatory adoring audience for a very reasonable purple, reasonable <laughs> price. price seemingly everyone reduced uh, released one and many of them jump-started or pushed careers to greater heights grand funk live Chicago at Carnegie Hall, Kiss Alive, Bob Seger's Live Bullet were all a nice summation of their to-date library. But nobody did it better or sold more records than Peter Frampton. This one set the standard. Release a few studio albums, tour tirelessly behind them, then record over a couple nights in a town that loves you, in this case San Francisco, play your best set list and knock them dead. I recently queued this one up and played it again, and after 46 years, it still holds up. Something ha- Something's happening, Doobie Wah, and the first hit, Show Me the Way, were a roaring start. Then we cooled down with a great acoustical set. Later on in the program, we get a scalding, I'll Give You Money, and then Jumping Jack Flash, maybe one of the best Stones covers ever recorded. End it all with the great rock showstopper, do you feel like we do? Nah. And Frampton literally brings down the house. And along the way, he's made a case to be called one of the greatest guitar players yeah, of his he was generation. Really good. He can't really play that much anymore. Yes, you know, because of uh, his hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now maybe back in the day, you got tired of hearing this on the radio and dismissed <laughs> it. Do yourself a favor: download, upload, reload, yeah, whatever. Whatever you need to do. Frampton's comes alive, and listen again. 
I promise you won't be sorry. Right at the beginning of 1976 in January, the double album set released here then, uh, voted number one album of the year by the Rolling Stone Reader's Poll. Remember that? Yes, absolutely. Number one, the, number one in the Billboard Top 200 chart. It's been a total of 10 non-consecutive weeks from April all the way through October. So number one sometimes, and sometimes it wasn't. Wing Speed of Sound and Steve Miller Band, whatever, came out in 1976. Mm-hmm. Fleetwood Mac, Fleetwood Mac. And Frampton Comes Alive. You got it. Spent the, you know, seemingly the whole summer. It was, uh, you know, right there. Now, I've talked about this many times. We both have uh, Toto, the debut album. Yes, absolutely. Boy, did they get off to a good start. And they're still recording today, 45 years later. Sure. And, of course, uh, touring. Toto made up of some of the top session musicians in L.A. in the 70s. Talked about David Page, Jeff Beccaro, our old yes, friend. Absolutely. Steve Lukather, one of the best guitarists you'll find. David Hungate on bass, Steve Picaro, who co-wrote the song Human Nature for Michael Jackson. That's right. He worked with Seals and Crofts, Sonny and Cher, Steely Dan. Of course, the main backing band, Silk Degrees, Boss Gags. Two-time platinum album featuring Hold the Line, I'll Supply the Love, and songs we talked about lately, um, Child's Anthem, A Deep Cut of Mine, Girl Goodbye. And of course, Georgie Porgy, which you hear a lot with Cheryl Lynn backing vocals on the Yacht Rock Radio <laughs> almost <laughs> yeah. all the time. But I love Georgie Porgy, and that's one of the songs of my favorites on the album, Toto. Pick that up if you haven't already done so. I think I have it. I know I have it on album and CD. It's not Definitely a, what I would consider a Hall of Fame album and a, and a fun one, too. Toto got off to a really good start. The next they album, sure Hydro, did. was kind of, yeah, it looked like an experimental album. Out around the same time of year as Tusk, which was also an experimental. Exactly, so, yes. Like, yes. right off the bat, I'm wondering, it's a good album, but what are you guys doing? Like, where are the hits? Then it took a while, a long time. They put out a couple of other albums before the one with Africa. You yeah, know. Toto 4, I think, yeah. was the... Uh, and then it took, they had Isolation and a couple other albums, and they did nothing until, like, Pamela came out in 1988. They had a different lead singer, but it's funny how hit and miss they were, but when they hit, they hit big, didn't Absolutely, they? Absolutely, yes. All right, one hit wonder time, Frankie. Paper, paper Lace, mid-August 1974 was number one the night Chicago died. Of a summer night in the land of the dollar bill, when the town of Chicago died, and they talk about it still. When a man named Al Capone tried to make that town his own, and he called his gang to war with the forces of the law, I heard my mama cry. I heard her pray the night Chicago died Brother, what a night it really was Brother, what I thought it really was Glory be 
That's your favorite year. Hard to believe uh, that it was 1974. Oh, hey, you know what? They also did a version of Billy Don't Be a Hero. I doubt that's going to be a cover versus cover, but uh, it only made it to number wow. 96 with the number one hit by Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods. Also I didn't in realize that they also did a version of that. Want to hear it? No. <laughs> Not in a million years. <laughs> Their follow-up to The Night Chicago Died was The Black-Eyed Boys, but only made it to number 41, just out of Casey Kasem's uh, American Top 40 in the fall of that year. They could have gotten in. They could have not been a one-hit wonder, but just <laughs> oh, falling short. <laughs> but you know, it's not enough to get to number 40, as we've determined it needs to be at least in the 20s somewhere to be exactly. a, considered some sort of hit in our category. <laughs> Guilty Pleasures, Guilty Pleasures, Frankie, Barbara Streisand, The Way We Were, is mine. Number one hit for her. Boy, she was all over the place in the 70s. but that She, had, she the, was all over the place. That movie yeah, with Robert Redford, I, uh, I I like it, but I don't like it. It's just... Um, I think I made it through the whole movie once. Yeah, that I think was so. For me. Romantic comedy, it ain't. It's not what's up, Doc. Yeah, it's not. It's not. I just. It's not a fun movie. I just so. didn't see those two together. Yeah, it was exactly. just uh, they had chemistry, I guess, because they were two of the biggest stars on film at the time. Certainly, yeah. It's this didn't click for me, but the song did. Number one from one of the top movies of that year, 1973. It's been three weeks at the top of the charts as we headed into. The winter of 1974. That's right, yes. What'd you think of that song? Uh, not one of my favorites, <laughs> but, um, you know, it was it was a well-crafted tune. Yeah, Let's it was it somebody's way. favorite. Yeah, absolutely. You have a good one, and I just downloaded this last week for our listeners to hear, and I had forgotten all about this band. Tell us about them. Yeah, um, Lights in the Night by Flash and the Pan. For those of you not familiar with Flash in the Pan, and let's admit it, why would you be? They were an Australian new wave musical group. The group was basically a studio project of Harry Vanda and George Young, 
a songwriting and production duo. You probably know the names. You probably don't know the names, but you might remember some of their work. Uh, they were part of the Easy Beats oh, back in the 60s. Easy Beats. And wrote the international hit Friday on My Mind. In the 1970s, they wrote Love is in the Air, which was a hit for John Paul Young. Yeah. Now, no, no relation, by the way. Well, yeah. Now, John was no relation to George, but... George's brothers were Malcolm and Angus Young, yes, of ACDC. ACDC can't get so far away from <laughs> Love is in the Air. And he and Harry actually produced their first six albums. <laughs> Finally came Lights in the Night, their second and most well-known, at least in Australia and Sweden, <laughs> album. It did get some airplay, particularly on late night FM radio in Cleveland, <laughs> where I originally heard it. I bought this as a used record for 99 cents, and at that price, it was a steal. Um, the <laughs> musical style, think of the buggles or craft work. Yeah. Um, the singing is actually synthesized talk sing of their voices. Lights in the Night is a deeply atmospheric song, and the drone of the voices over the top of the music is perfect. Mm. Vanda and Young would go on to record four more albums but refused to do any kind of touring, which severely, limit, severely limited their album sales. But by all means, download this guilty pleasure and enjoy a little Flash <laughs> and the band. And the, now you mentioned uh, the Buggles. They were out around the same time with the song. In exactly, 1980 it was yes. released, and they, they actually re recorded up until like 1992. Exactly, yeah. So, <laughs> it's so interesting. Angus Young and Malcolm Young. and Yeah, and, and how, how did their brother... Gets so different. I mean, just such a different feel to what his music was. Obviously, he was the older brother since he was active, you know, almost back to the uh, early 60s. Yeah. Well, maybe he was walking down the hall and said, you know what? My brother's doing this. I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's got to work because this doesn't sound very good. Exactly. Rock releases week of May 8th getting into summertime, Frankie. Absolutely. Good ones, too, like The Beatles, Let It Be, 1970. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good one. May 8th. Jackson 5 debuted with uh, ABC. They're the same day. Boy, talk about two diverse albums, but yeah. two classics. And that sold a lot of copies, each of them. Woodstock's Soundtrack, 1970. Uh. Hendrix, Are You Experienced, 1967. Mm -hmm. Stones, Exile in Main Street, 1972. Did you like that one? I did. Um, it's a little bit different, but it's two records set. you got to kind of wade through it and kind of pick your poison on that one. 1974, If You Love Me, Let Me Know, Olivia. Oh. It's still hard to believe that she passed away. Yeah, definitely. Elton John's 21 at 33. Talked about that many times. That's his sure, 21st yeah. effort by the age of 33. 1980, that had Little Genie on it. Dire Straits, Brothers in Arms, 1985. Nice. Heart, Little Queen. Heart, Little Queen. <laughs> the Clash Combat Rock, 1982. Yeah, that was their uh, kind of their last... Uh, hurrah. Hurrah, yeah. because after that... They had a good run, two, that three, was, four years. And good run. that was all they needed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff, though. Rocket releases this week. 
featured artist time Frankie, Daryl Hall, and John Oates. Uh, the duo hailing from Philadelphia, the first Philly act to be inducted into the Rock Hall. I didn't realize that. In 2014. Remember what Daryl said on stage? Why are we the oh, first yeah, ones? Oh, yeah, why are they the That's Where's right. Rundgren and Stylistics? Yes. Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Mm-hmm. Boy, some good stuff with Tom Bell and their great writing coming out of Philadelphia, that, that TSOP sound. Yes. Others inducted that night in 2014, already nine years ago. Kiss, Nirvana, Linda Ronstadt, Cat Stevens, and Peter Gabriel. What a class. That's a really nice class, yeah. That was 2014. Inducted by Questlove. You don't know who Mr. Love is. I'm not familiar with him. But (laughs) (laughs) Songwriters Hall of Fame, Hall & Oates, uh, 2003. They met in 1967. They were in uh, different groups at the time. Paul was in the Tem Tones and John Oates in the Masters. Okay. So they got together, you know, in the scene. They're kind of bopping around and, hey, maybe you can help out here. And they liked how they sounded together, right? Exactly. Never liked to be called Hall and Oates. They wanted to be called Daryl Hall and John Oates. So maybe we just call them Daryl and John. What do you think? There you go. They wanted to instead be known as individual musicians, no ampersand, like Loggins and Messina. And they they wanted to be like um, you know Everly Brothers you know um, Phil and Don, so gotcha. little trouble identifying their sound at first. Was it folk? Was it soul? Was it rock pop? As a result, one of their first albums they none of their first albums did very well commercially. No, they really didn't. Yeah, they still hooked up with Atlantic Records in the seventies and they stuck with them. Then they moved to RCA for their greatest success. That's right, yeah. Don't know what happened with Atlantic. Sometimes maybe things just don't work out after the first couple albums. Maybe the artist just said, you know, it's time to move on. We got a better deal somewhere else. Because they put out a lot of hits. They sure did. Once they moved to RCA. Yeah, they did. Smile for me, Sarah. 
If you feel like leaving, you know you can go. But why don't you stay until tomorrow? If you wanna be free. So that was their album with Zero Smile, the breakout hit in the summer of 76. Weird-looking album cover. They always had strange-looking album covers, whether they were sweating or real close-up <laughs> on uh, tight uh, close-up like Phil Collins. So Zero Smile, written for his girlfriend at the time, Sarah Allen. Okay. War, War Babies, the album produced by Todd Rundgren, the follow-up released in the fall of 1974. Didn't have any charting singles. It sounds like something Todd Rundgren would do, you know. Absolutely. Put out an album of music. <laughs> then the one everybody kind of knows now, Abandoned Luncheonette. Yes. That was November of 73, so predated that. Second studio album that had She's Gone. favorite Hall yeah. oh, records. I mean, it's just a gorgeous record. you got to play the whole version, though, not oh, yeah, the single yeah, you do. radio cut. I don't like that one at all. Very, uh, another, I've, I've used this word a lot, but uh, very atmospheric. It's yes. Very, very good tune. Would you call it esoteric, perhaps? Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching the Hall, Rock Hall inductions when they played them on HBO in 2014. Cat Stevens, one of my favorite artists, performed, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Hall and Oates did, or I should say Daryl Hall and John Oates, yes. performed She's Gone on stage. And I was happy because they could have done Did It in a Minute or so many other of their songs. Yeah, some, and though I know what you're talking about because some of the hits towards the end got a little bit repetitive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then, Bigger Than the Both of Us, these are, now you're going to start recognizing some songs. Sure. August of 76 had Rich Girl, number one in the early spring oh. of 77, yeah, I guess. Absolutely. Daryl originally wrote it for a guy he knew in high school or college or something. And just didn't sound good. You're a rich guy, so he just said, "Rich girl." Then, "Bitch girl" is a really good, really good tune. Kind of tired of it, but like it. That and, did, and it really broke them. I mean, that's, it did. that's when they really, you know, kind of became a force in music. You're a rich girl, and you're gone too far, cause you know it don't matter anyway. You can rely on the old man's money. You can rely on the old man's money. It's a bitch girl, but it's gone too far. Cause you know it don't matter anyway. Say money, money won't get you too far, get you too far.
getting back together again. Still one of my favorites. That was also on that album, but didn't do very well. Uh, not, not like Rich Girl. Then came a couple of lesser-known LPs, Beauty on the Back Street, yeah. Live Time, and Along the Red Edge. Don't remember any of those. They kind of cooled off in the late 70s, didn't they? have like one kind of quasi hit off of each yeah. album something like that yeah. it's a laugh was the fall of 78 they were really cooling off but still touring aggressively and writing and recording their music maybe still trying to find their niche find their way exactly 1979 came ecstatic wait for me and david foster produced that and uh, toto steve Percaro played on the album as well were perfectly suited for this duo though weren't they yeah absolutely they were they were just made for that time and boy when it hit they were there yeah
And then they kind of burned out toward the mid-late 80s. I remember they broke up and Daryl Hall at the time said, I can't see us getting back together again to perform in the near or distant future. Yeah, that's crazy. That is sense. <laughs> <laughs> sense, of course, um, mended fences and whatever. As the years go by, that makes sense. 1980 came Voices, the radio-friendly hits. You've lost that love and feeling. Yep. Kiss on my list. You make my dreams come true. My favorite from the album, How Does It Feel to Be Back? That's Hall and Oates at their finest, I thought. Because they took over production duties at the time for that okay. album. So Todd Rundgren, thanks. We're going to move on. David Foster, thank goodness. Because he was all over the place. He was. And he had, had that patented sound that everybody got tired of real quick. Yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, like, I like David Foster, but the, he's so so into himself. Yeah. That's how it's, I can't think of any other way to put it. Um, he's, he was really into Chicago sound and Earth, Wind, and Fire. He's really kind of taken over the bands at the time. Right, right. And for him to also be in charge of Hall & Oates, I, they probably just thought, you know what, you're probably too busy. You, <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to tell them we're recording, you know. Uh, we'll have a party and you're not going to be invited, that kind of thing. 1981 came Private Eyes. Boy, they're putting out an album every year, and it's loaded with hits. This is actually one we played a lot on ACRN. When it first came out, Private Eyes, can't go for that, did it in a minute. I think the only one that was uh, recommended for us from our program director was Private Eyes, their lead song from that album. Good stuff, though. Oh, absolutely. Then H2O, one-on-one, man-eater, family man. The H and the O could stand for water or for Hall & Oates. Yeah, H and O together. Wow. good one and you just mentioned um, some of the hits off of there yeah. uh, they were just right in stride then and it just seemed like everything they did was a hit it really was everything turned to gold their greatest hits came out in october of 1983 rock and soul part one a couple of new singles previously unreleased like adult education or adult education adult say <laughs> adult 
Say it ain't so, say it isn't so. A first album of theirs to be released in the new CD format. 1983, getting into the mid-80s now. I don't remember a lot of their videos. Do you? No. Unlike Duran Duran or Billy Idol or something. Uh, I know they made them, but I I don't remember remember a lot lot of their... Yeah. Their music was all over the place, though, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. You couldn't go anywhere without hearing, in 1983, the new one by... Lionel Richie by Phil Collins or Genesis. Hall and Oates. They were right up there, yep. Still a lot of good music, though, in the 80s. That time of the 80s was really cool, I thought. Um, big Bang Boom. Big Bam Boom. Big, 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 meaty, beady. <laughs> <laughs> 1984, already their 12th studio album in That's like right, 11 yeah. years. Bob Clearmountain co-produced and incorporated a lot of new technologies like digital recording. 24-track analog tape, which allowed artists to record 48 tracks onto tape. Wow. Yeah. They also experimented with new sounds, like cardboard boxes, footsteps in gravel, even Boy Scout canteens. Nice. (laughs) They had it all going. Yeah, I don't know why. They, They could have just hired some backup musicians, but no. We're going to get a Boy Scout canteen in here instead. Big hits, Out of Touch, which went to number one. Still one of my favorites, Method of Modern Love. Right. And Possession, Obsession. Some of these uh, titles. Campy, quirky. Yeah. I don't know. But they're cool. Definitely guys. 80s. <laughs> yeah, definitely 80s. You ever see um, Live at, from Daryl's House? Yeah, I, I did see that uh, a couple times. Yeah, he had Todd Rundgren on. He's had all kinds of artists mm-hmm. on. It's on. I don't know if it's on anymore, but you usually catch it on VH1 or MTV or something, maybe five. I think I, I saw ago. it when he had one of those ZZ Top guys on there. It oh, was, wow. It was, it was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Live at the Apollo, you remember this one, recorded at the famed Apollo Theater in Harlem. They performed with the Temptations, That's members right, Dave yes. Ruffin, Eddie Kendricks. The way you do the things you do, get ready, ain't too proud to beg, and My Girl, part of that wonderful rendition. Great stuff. They also performed together at Live Aid that summer, and we've talked about that. I don't remember because I don't think I saw that part of it. Were they in England? Were they in Philadelphia? I think they were in Philadelphia. Probably Philly. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Ooh, yeah, 1988, Everything Your Heart Desires. Only made it to number twenty-four in the album chart. Yeah, things were starting to go, yeah. uh, going backwards for them. Yeah, yeah. Like they'd had such a hot run that you, you can't. I don't think any act can. This, yeah, the, sustain that. You run out of stuff. Yeah. Change of season was a number sixty album, their fourteenth studio effort, and that had um, "Don't Hold Back Your Love," which I kind of like. So close, which went to number one in the Hot One Hundred, which I don't know. And they broke up in nineteen ninety-seven. Uh, officially only to get back together again. Yeah. They've been touring, not, I don't know, extensively, but touring on and off. They're, all, they're getting into their late 60s, their 70s now, you know. Sure. So it, it's real, it was really fun to see the live at Daryl's house, or since he got divorced, I could they call it live at Daryl's <laughs> ex-wife's house. But they would have a little jam session, right? Yeah, and they absolutely. would play the exactly other artist's songs. Did, yeah. and, and then have a little meal afterwards. It was a, a lot of fun to watch that show, and I wish they would still air it. But I don't even know if we have 
VH1 in any of our systems anymore. There you go. Exactly. MTV, too. Yeah, so. who knows what you have. <laughs> so they toured extensively um, over the years, and they have been around lately, but I haven't seen them. Maybe I will someday. What do you think? Yeah, if you can catch them within the next year or two, I would definitely uh, say, yeah. I wonder what their absolutely. set list would be like. I don't want to hear, oh, did it in a minute, and I can't go well, for that. I think that. you'll hear a lot of that, but yeah. I think you also you hear Sarah smile. You know, yeah. I think they'll, they'll go back, and uh, they've got such a great catalog. Uh, it's, it's a fun night. Good next stuff. week, Frankie, Season 8 continues. Nice. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. This is Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. We will see you next week.